Awaken to the Divine Within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, friends, to One Soul Radio. Can I still say Happy New Year a little bit longer? Yeah, go for it. All right. So welcome and Happy New Year. Welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is a show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own. We are here to offer you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time, the world of psychology, the world of spirit. My name is Callie Alpert. I'm getting past a little bit of a bug here, so I sound a little different today, but feeling okay with my Dear friend and co-host, spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. Well, you sound like Greta Garbo. Oh, you said that last week. I thought maybe I had graduated to something. I don't know who. Did she have a sexy voice? I mean, it was my parents used to love Greta Garbo. Yeah. And they said they always loved her voice because it was deep and foggy. (laughs) Well, this is pure affect minus, you know, I do have my radio voice where I try to turn it on a little bit, but this is a whole other level. So, (laughs) Um, so today we are talking about the beauty of sensitivity as two very sensitive souls that Steve and I are, as are many of our beloved people around us and on this universe. Uh, we wanted to focus on the beauty of sensitivity. So I ask you all, how many times were you celebrated as a kid for having a stiff upper lip or not shedding tears? Perhaps you were told you were too sensitive and instead you built a protective seal around every deep feeling you had. Well, it's time to shake up that mindset because being sensitive and having the courage to live into it fully is a beautiful thing in our humble opinion and requires a lot of bravery. So today we're going to share our own deep sensitivities, the pain, the sorrow, the joy. (laughs) It's brought us, we're going to talk about vulnerability as it, um, as it has a relationship, obviously with sensitivity discuss the various shades of living as a sensitive person and because there is a spectrum of sensitivity and offer some tips to help you harness your sensitivity to help accelerate accelerate your personal growth. So it seems that um, historically the concept of sensitivity and vulnerability have been looked at as a weakness, not a strength. It's the, you know, the, especially for men, boys don't cry. We celebrate resilience, even, you know, um, we celebrate being strong. We celebrate moving past things and having a thick skin. I know in my family that was always, um, as much as we grew up with a lot of sensitivity, um, at least from the three women in the house, and that was, you know, the emotionality was welcome to some degree. There was also always the, oh, you get past this quickly and you let things roll off your shoulders and that was celebrated. So I think it 
it often offers mixed messages when we're talking about sensitivity. Now, what about you, Mr. Sensitive? Mr. Sensitive. I, you know, I think I was born sensitive. Yeah. And then I had to adapt to my environment. Mm-hmm. And the adaptation was keep growing a thick skin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it's too scary in this place. I don't fit here. The stork brought me to the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I could never feel, it was very hard for me to feel comfortable in my own home because there was a lot of screaming and yelling and rage and all that stuff was going on. And so you have to build a thick skin. Mm-hmm. And so were you encouraged to, or it was just a reflexive, like intuitive thing? Cause you were trying to stay alive, right? It, w- it was pure necessity. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever told me to be sensitive or not sensitive. Right. My, I think my mother rewarded me for my sensitivity mm. for all through my life. And my father criticized me for my sensitivity all through my life. <laughs> I think that's called schizophrenia. Right, exactly. Well, as as you know, and as we've shared on the show, there are, we have a lot of um, commonality in the households. There are beloved New Jersey households that we grew up in, not knowing each other back then. Um, same with me, so much arguing and fighting and psychological and emotional trauma and mental illness and all kinds of things I didn't even have words for then. But when you're a sensitive being and you're just trying to stay alive, you have no idea at that time the degree to which your defense mechanisms are developing and the relationship you're forming or not forming with your sensitivity. Um, I do want to say, as I see our... um, a few calls collecting already um, on hold for us that if you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a call. You can share your sensitivities, vulnerabilities, lack thereof with us at 816-251-3555. And we're going to get to our callers momentarily. We'll start the conversation. So please join us. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to, it's, I'm trying to remember because again, having like a very sensitive mother um, who always gave herself permission and created a household where sensitivity and emotionality was, we you know was was extremely welcome, but maybe a little too welcome because it was completely um, unfiltered, unbridled, uncontained, and unregulated. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, but you know, but when it came to just being comfortable, having emotions, it was except for anger yeah, and except against the people in the household, there was definitely, you know, there was definitely freedom, um, freedom to do so. It seems like now the idea of, um, vulnerability and sensitivity is trending. (laughs) It, It is trending. Right? It is. And, uh, our friend Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. has trended that both in her TED Talks and in her yep. books. <clears throat> mm-hmm. In fact, I, I'm always actually recommending that TED Talk to my clients, especially my male clients, ah. who have a very difficult time often being vulnerable uh, in relationship. And so in, historically, women have been more comfortable 
with their sensitivities and men have not been comfortable much at all. Right. <laughs> I, I've always been the guy who's been very sensitive. So I'm kind of out of that loop. Yeah. But of course, I became a therapist because of that. So it it's very good for me to be sensitive <laughs> and have that intuition. But for most men, it's been a, def- a very difficult road for a lot of men. I've always felt for that, too. I've always felt for um, men. And again, now, you know, we want to be sensitive. My, my other sensitivity just about engendering this conversation in a day and yeah. age where we're trying to to be a little more mindful about that and um, and people that are gender fluid. Um, so we do want to acknowledge that, that, that we're making just broad-based statements right now. Um, but I have always felt for, uh, for that sort of stereotype because it doesn't make it easy for men or men that, you know, people that I, who identify as, um, as male to have the freedom to have that level of emotionality. And I can understand why it's been confusing for a lot of decades. You know, I've always really felt for that. Um, in addition to, to Brene Brown, we have like our red table talk, right. With, um, uh, the Smith family, Will Smith's family, Simone Biles talking about openly, like with mental health, Justin Baldoni, the actor from, um, uh, from Jane the Virgin, who has a beautiful, like man enough movement, which talks about, um, vulnerability in men, you know, it's just, um, it's interesting how now it's become sort of a hot topic. And so we'll take it where we can get it. For us, it's kind of old news. Um, but the, I like yeah. the idea that it's, yeah, now it seems like it's something that it's, it's like a thing if you show yourself being yourself or being your authentic self, especially if you're a public figure and you're breaking. Harry on Oprah Winfrey. Exactly. Beautiful example. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, you know, all right. So it's a novel finally that somebody's showing their true colors and they happen right. to have to be, you know, someone who's a royal or a famous actor right. or athlete, but still whatever it takes just to get the message across, we'll take it. Right. Um, so let's see, where do we want to start with this? I think, um, there's a few different types of sensitivity that we started to talk about when we were producing the show and different level, different nuances and, Mm -hmm. um, on the spectrum and times when sensitivity might warrant celebrating and times when it can get us in trouble. So we're going to share some of those stories as we get in a little bit more deeply. Um, so the first one is sensitivity that reflects one's open heart toward the world. And you gave the example of Mother Teresa, right? I did. I love Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing about Mother Teresa, who I've read about quite extensively. Um, not only was she had a very tender, open heart to individuals who were in need, who were the, what she called the poorest of the poor. Right. That was her mission. But she was also incredibly fierce. Hmm. So if she made this decision about wanting to do something, she would get it done. Mm-hmm. So she went to Lebanon because she wanted to help the refugees there. And Lebanon was blocked off. And they told her she could not go in and see the refugees. What did she do? She stood at the gate screaming and yelling 
for day after day after day after day until all the newspapers in the world came and did the story on her and they let her in. <laughs> so beautiful. I didn't I didn't know that actually. I didn't know that. That's beautiful. So you can so when we talk about sensitivity, it doesn't mean you're just a sensitive, open, I'll go with the flow kind of person. You can also be very strong and fierce. Well, right. That's a, that's also that's such a that's such an important thing to bring up and such a big I don't say distinction, but um I think often there's so many different, as we said, different types of sensitivity. So if you're extremely sensitive and feeling um, I think a lot of people think that that implicitly suggests that you are lacking strength. And the example you just gave is completely the opposite. In fact, I would venture to say that if you're really comfortable in embracing and embodying of your sensitivity and or vulnerability, it's probably the greatest sense of strength and, and courage you can really have. Bravo. Right? Because there's no nothing that you feel compelled to block or to fight with or to apologize for or to have shame around. So that's a beautiful example, Mother Teresa. God bless her. Um, let's talk a little bit before we go into some of the other versions of sensitivity. What, how, do, how do you define sensitivity? That's sort of a loaded one. It's you know, we talked about like the beauty of it. We talked about how um, we talked about this off the air before we before we um, came on today. Um, the idea that people, sensitive people, take you know we take birth to feel the entire breadth and width of the human experience. Those are your That's words. Exactly what I was going to say. Right, and then to acknowledge that it can be <laughs> joyous and difficult and ecstatic and painful, but that if you come with a more open heart through your sensitivity you can live more fully? Did I just take away your answer? <laughs> that is my answer. I know. So yes, you come in, people who are very sensitive, let's say a soul, in assessing their life going forward, would make this decision based on a lot of very different wise understandings to come in with a receptive, gorgeous, tender opening toward experiencing everything in the world. That would be an extreme, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and very bold. Knowing full well that that openness and receptivity, which you and I can talk about from our own experiences, brings with it the kind of crushing at times, the crushing blows that life offers. And so mm -hmm. you're coming with this big heart, and yet that heart is probably going to be broken. And then you have to come back to that beautiful big heart, and then it's going to be broken. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the journey of the sensitive soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And trying to deal with the um, hardening the scabs and the hardening that happen as a reaction to having our hearts broken and then finding a way ultimately, hopefully to have that pendulum swing toward the middle. So you don't get so worn down by the ills and pains of being open and receptive and sensitive that you lose it, that the opposite happens and you get too, you know, too hardened, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and too defended against it. And that, and that happens to a lot of people. It does. To all right. us at some point or another, but to different degrees, right? 
Back to Hemingway. Oh, now, please. I love me some Ernest. So Hemingway, which we've said before, his quote is, the world breaks everyone, Mm. but some become stronger in the broken places. Mm. Gorgeous. Beautiful. And so true. Yeah. So let's talk about the sensitivity that gets us into trouble. Uh Uh-huh. Now, when I say it this way, I'm talking about, well, there's a few different ways I'm talking about it. And all kinds of ways sensitivity has gotten me into trouble. Um, one is when my, it's, it's sort of the ability to read a room when you're sensitive and you grow up the way that we did. And I'm going to speak for both of us for a minute. When you grow up where you're in a household where you constantly have to navigate everything because it's such a tricky, unhealthy and traumatizing environment, you often create, um, gain a lot of superpowers around using your sensitivity to read people and to read a room. And it can be a really beautiful asset as you go through life. Where it gets me into trouble is when I'm sure that I'm right about it. And then I start writing all these crazy narratives and stories in my mind that actually might not be accurate. So, and it's hard to dis- um, for me to discern sometimes which one it is. So I could be um, with a stranger, and this has happened plenty of times where I'm in a situation or I'm traveling and I meet a stranger and within three minutes I can tell them something powerful that happened in their life in a few months before and, um, and, it's, and it's accurate. Or it could be the way I conduct myself in business, or it could be the way that I am a strong interviewer because I can see and read and hear and listen very, very deeply. Um, and it can also work against me, like I said, because I could be, you know, on a Zoom meeting or a call with somebody um, that I don't know and watching expressions on their face and being so sure intuitively that I know exactly what's going on because I am that sensitive and I am that intuitive. And it could be a big crock. I could be, you know, painting a whole picture, writing a whole narrative that's just not true and coming from that place. And that doesn't do justice to the person, to the relationship either. So I would say that's one example of many where sensitivity works against my favor. You want one that worked against me? Yes, I do. Please. So I met this woman in Santa Barbara. I was living in Carmel at the time. And we had our first date in Santa Barbara, fixed up by a doctor friend of mine. And then I invited her to come up to Carmel, and she took a plane up. She was coming down the little ramp of the plane, Monterey Airport. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing this person that I was very attracted to, I saw somebody who was from England <laughs> in the uh, late se- late 18th century, <laughs> and my hatred toward her was so overwhelming that I couldn't speak to her for the first 20 minutes of our date. So you were having like a karmic kind of astral memory. I did, and I okay. the whole thing came back to me. This was not useful for (laughs) dating purposes. But the whole thing came back to me that she had left me a man of privilege for somebody else. And she had left our family and caused this tremendous scandal. Anyway, I don't even know if it was true, but that's what happened to me. 
So how did it impact your first moments or hours with her? Did you, how did you act and did you say anything? I wound up talking to her about it. And I told her that, you know, if it's really bad, she could have me committed. <laughs> but these were the things that were coming up for me. And I, it's shaping my perception of her and I want to let it go. We had a great talk. We were together for a couple of years after that. <laughs> I love that. I'm also chuckling a little prematurely as you're telling that, because as you started, I remembered you and shared that story with me before. It's That's a good one, because that's not the way most people start off on you know an early date in an early, early stages of a relationship. Um, you know, the other way that sensitivity can get one in trouble or where it's harder to have it be honored is when it's not regulated. Like uh -huh. when the, when the um, reactivity piece becomes bigger than the sensitivity piece, right? I'm not even sure that I can think of an example, probably because I have too many to even home in on one. Mm -hmm. um, but that's an area, because I remember even being, probably in my young adult years when I started really, um, you know, being more interested in having relationships, obviously, romantic relationships, and always feeling like I could never find a man that wasn't that I wasn't too much for. I still feel that way sometimes. And um, how showing my level of emotionality was going to scare everybody away because that's so deep in my training and so deep in my DNA that I'm still working on undoing that story narrative. Um, but one of the things that you've always encouraged me to do and taught me is that when we feel like there's not a place on the outside for different corners of our personality to give ourselves that version of love in our in our work in our meditation in our inner child work whatever term terminology you want to use it definitely helps to feel like you're um not as separate from the world when it comes to some of these deeper parts of ourselves perfect um do we want to talk a little bit more about the idea of sensitivity of reading the room, like really seeing, really hearing? I mean, I think that's such a, um, and it, and it also ties into vulnerability, which I think is probably one of the greatest virtues that I, at least that I value. In well, you know, let's uh, segue to the extreme again, because yeah. sometimes when you talk about the extreme, either the narcissism on one hand or the empath on the other, you get mm -hmm. to understand it better. Mm -hmm. You get to understand that there's a spectrum of behaviors and most of us fall in the middle somewhere. But if we talk about the empathic extreme, uh, we can talk about one of my clients who actually was so empathic that not always, but a lot would hear other people's thought process, mm -hmm. especially when she was talking to her friends. Mm. Can you imagine that? That's really, especially if you, well, go ahead. I want to hear more, but if you're not, if that comes on and you're not used to that, or you don't know how to process or channel that, that's a lot. Well, the thing is she had it all of her life. And she never got used to it because she would be talking and hear things she didn't want to hear. And then she would be crippled. And we would talk about it in therapy all the time. She'd be crippled about what she heard people thinking about her mm. and not knowing how to respond to them. And then 
<laughs> going off into all kinds of narratives. So that would be an extreme form of an empathic, which we're going to talk about after our break today. And so we want to talk about narcissism, which is the opposite of sensitivity toward people, and empathicness, which is so much sensitivity that they live other people's lives. So and interesting. This, it's so interesting. And these two things are hardly mutually exclusive of each other because often one creates the other in a household too. Yeah. Now, I don't know enough to know if, um, I, I'm still not clear, having a narcissistic mother, if it's more biological or environmental or some say a combination of how it forms. But I do know that often those types of parents create highly sensitive empathic children, um, which speaks to like our household. And often it's because, at least I can say for me, because I didn't feel my, my needs were never met. I never formed like a f uh, primary uh, safe place of love or being seen or being heard because everything is always about somebody else's needs being more important and their voice being louder. It actually created in me a hyper developed ability to hear and see really deeply, which now I value as one of my, you know, one of my greatest traits. Um, and it helps me professionally and it helps me in the way that I like to be of service. Um, so it can be, you know, a blessing again, we could get into, and this will require a little bit more time, but we could get into how we all sign up for, on some higher level, exactly these situations and these stories that our soul so desires to learn so that we can acquire a lot of these lessons and a lot of these traits. It's it's fascinating. Um, do you want to speak quickly to the difference between an empath and um, and being empathic before our break? Yeah, well, again, it's on a, a kind of sliding scale. So being having empathy is being able to understand another person's situation without necessarily having to live that situation. So a person who's an empath lives it, it goes into their body, they get very stressed and overwhelmed by it, and they find themselves unable to function. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more deeply about empathy, being empathic, highly sensitive people, and what we can do to employ uh, or to, to um, process all of the different types of sensitivities for a more joyful life. We'll be right back. All are welcome here. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. The Voice of an Awakening World. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Kelly Alpert. A little bit of a residual cold I'm getting over here in Long Island, New York, with my dear friend and co-host Steve Hassenberg hailing from the left coast. And we're having a little chuckle because our beloved engineer, Jeff, who keeps all the, uh, keeps the machine running behind the scenes, but you don't usually hear him, just said something very funny that I really can't even share but made us laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So thank you for that, Jeff. 
So we're talking about sensitivity, the beauty of sensitivity. Um, we were just talking about the difference between empath, um, being empathic and being an empath and uh, the subtle and not so subtle distinctions between the two. Um, let's talk a little bit about the idea of the HSP, the highly sensitive person. This, was this a term that somebody put on the map? Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit before we get into what it means? I have no idea who that was. Okay, I wasn't sure because I, I have to look it up. You know, I don't... It's As a matter of fact... Um, I was, I was going to look it up and I didn't, <laughs> but I, we should find out. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll have highly a sensitive person. Yes, it's a proper. So I didn't know this term, um, was an official thing. Um, well, yeah. What? Well, the thing Not is, an official thing? What's, as time goes by, mm-hmm. what happens in the field of psychology <laughs> is that there are more and more syndromes that are recognized and then sometimes diagnosed, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you started a long time ago with Sigmund Freud, there'd be one one or a few things like hysteria, depression, and anxiety. But this kind of landscape of all kinds of issues that people have is relatively new, last 30 years, right? So highly sensitive people come in that category. So there are enough people with these particular uh, problems and they make a category for it. People write books about it. You read a self-help book. Oh my God, I'm one of these people. I should have known this my whole life. And so this is how it develops. <laughs> That's how people self-diagnose with all kinds of things. Yeah. And sometimes oh, maybe a little um, overly diagnosed or a little overly named or overly labeled, but that's another show, right? So um, what I learned about the hi- highly sensitive people, and I have a few in in my life, um, is that, and I'm not speaking now from a clinical perspective, I'm speaking just from an experiential one, is that there's a, there's a, um, a very specific constitution, almost like a physiological and central nervous system related constitution, uh, that makes them especially, um, I was going to say highly sensitized really quickly to all the stimulation in the world, whether it's a person's energy, whether it's noise or lights. I mean, I'm generalizing, you know, I'm going to back up for a second. I have crazy sensitivities that are very neurotic. (laughs) I consider myself to be a very sensitive feeling person. And yet I'm, I don't, I would not qualify myself as being a highly sensitive person in the constitutional version of it. Um, but I've always had sensitivities. I have intense sensitivities with audio issues and misophonia, where if I hear certain sounds, it drives me into like madness. I have, um, and I didn't know it was a thing until many years ago when I was working on the Dr. Oz show and somebody came on and shared that syndrome and I realized I have it. Um, spatial sensitivities I have, which is why during COVID, I, um, I was already prepared to keep my distance from people in certain ways, as much as I love being in close range with people that I love. 
Um, but being at restaurants or bars or in a public space, like the way I feel someone's energy behind me or the way I'd rather have a you know wall or a corner behind me as opposed to being in the middle of a room, all kinds of you know things like that. So those are my own versions of kind of kooky sensitivities. But when we talk about highly sensitive people, I think the common um, uh, one of the common grounds that I know in the three people in my life that I've experienced um, for a long time is the overwhelm that happens and how extreme it can, how loud it can be and how much nurturing and how many boundaries are necessary before it can really get the best of a person. So like I'm thinking there's one friend who is not my friend anymore because I needed her in a way that was too much for her. When I was in a tough time in my life and I expressed that I needed to be in closer contact or I needed to hear from her more, I needed more support. Ultimately, it was the final straw where she cut me out of her life very immediately and very drastically without any warning. And it's not like we didn't have this, uh, she didn't have the same needs of me at other times in her life. And it was, and I was completely nonplussed by it. So that we had an equilibrium in terms of the way we showed up for each other, but our capacity was very different. And for years, I had no understanding of it until someone else in my life who fits the bill explained it to me and gave me the best interpretation of why this person like really just cut me out. Um, would you consider yourself to be a highly sensitive person in whatever the official definition of the expression is? Yes and no. Yeah. Because what I wanted to throw in the mix here was that it often occurs that our bodies take on the burden of our sensitivities and we come up with not only psychosomatic ailments, but real ailments. And so if you look at, if you look at how, when people go to the doctor, doctors will say, 90% of the people who come to the doctor, maybe not in the last two years, ha are having psychosomatic issues. Mm, right. Psychosomatic issues always come from challenges that we can't face adequately. And maybe because we're too sensitive, we retreat from them. And then our body goes, hey, nope. Yeah. Guess so what? Right. Something's going on here. Right. Let's, let's take a look at what's going on. And then we're forced to take a look at what's going on in our body. And certainly that's been a big thing for me in my life. What's going on in my body? What does that say about my psyche? What issues haven't I faced? What needs to be addressed and released? So we're saying to people that relate to this, number one, you're not crazy. Every time you have something going on in your body, there is legitimately something that your body's speaking to you because often doctors and conventional practitioners will tell you you're crazy. I've watched this happen also with people very close to me in my life. And at the same time, it might not fall under a classic definition of something being wrong or showing up on an x-ray. It could be that your whole constitution is telling you that you need to slow down, you need to get quieter, you need to stop taking on so much, you need to stop trying to fix the world, you might be suffering from over-responsibility syndrome, um, that it's time to listen, right? And what I would say after so many years of working with people with 
every ailment known to man and woman and um, every psychological issue is that we do the mind and the body are in one vessel here. Mm -hmm. So anything that's going on in the body, something's going on in the mind. Anything that's going on in the mind is impacting the body. It's all one system. Mm -hmm. And so when we want to look at something to heal, we want to look at the whole system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't want to differentiate, oh, it's just my leg. It's not just your leg. It's every, every little part is involved in some way. And so I find that a much better way to understand this mechanism of being human. Which is why <laughs> modalities like integrative medicine and functional medicine right. are so imperative to um, modern society to help people. And for anyone, I'm going to give my sister a shout out for anybody who's looking for that resource, wellhumans, wellhumans.com. She is genius in this area if anybody needs help. Because as I always joke, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone, but often things start in your gut or often things start in your heart, your emotional heart and your auric fields, and then they manifest into parts of your body. But it's hard when you don't see it through that lens to be able to identify it. And hopefully the medical world will be catching up. Um, but we digress a little bit. So highly sensitive people. Um, mm. Let's see, what else did we want to say about that? I think um, let's talk a little. Should we talk about some of the um, techniques that Judith Judith Orloff talks about in her book? Well, sounds like a, a thing to do. So Judith Orloff, who wrote well many books, including the Empath's Survival Guide, <clears throat> and I am not an expert in Judith. Judith, I think you know more about Judith than than I do. So, I actually um, know Judith. We okay. know each other for a long time. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Do you want to talk about her a little bit then, because you can do her justice? Well, yeah, I met Judith about twenty years ago or so, and we see each other from time to time, usually at Gelson's, the <laughs> supermarket, and. Um, she suffered for a long time because she didn't understand the depth of her sensitivity. And uh, because of that, it kind of charted a road for her. She's a psychiatrist and it charted a road for her to understand who she was, what she had, why was she, why she was so sensitive. And she has written many, many books about empaths. So she's become today's leading expert on empaths. Beautiful. And she's a lovely human. Yeah. And I mean, and such a big name in the personal development and kind of alt health space. Why? for Sure. Um, so let's talk about in um, honor of some of the paths that Judith has charted on these topics. Let's talk about some of the coping strategies, right? Sure. Um, does she, is the term the shielding strategies, is that her term? Yes. Okay. Um, so we talked about, so there's a little list that we have here that we can go over. One is the idea of um, envisioning a shield of light protecting you from negativity. Yes. This is a very, I, I am, listen, this is not hers per se, but she uses it in her book. 
It's something that metaphysicians have talked about for a long time. And so the idea is that when you're in a situation and you're feeling overwhelmed by the person you're with, you put a shield of light in front of you. And that shield of light actually rebounds their energy back to them. I love that. We'll talk about something similar to that in one of our action steps today as well. Secondly, um, spending time in nature, which we talk a lot about because it's such great medicine and it's free and it's global and it's universal. And um, now again, it's become a little bit, what is it? Forest bathing, becoming more medicinal. They're doing more research on that, right? Um, So, but the idea of, of being barefoot, standing barefoot in the sand or in the woods, or I, I think about, <laughs> this is funny, I'm just thinking about in my old neighborhood in New Jersey, there's this beautiful, um, it's a Korean spa, Korean day spa, this mega gorgeous place that opened up well before COVID when I was able to go. And one of the things they have on the top floor and the roof among many beautiful soaking pools is a little wading um, pool with different textures of stones and pebbles just for you to walk on for grounding as a way to kind of massage your feet and get you grounded sort of popped into my mind. Um, But, you know, I have friends that literally hug trees. I joke that I hug trees and sometimes I do just the energy, but I often, um, I, I can't live without nature. I mean, I, need to do it several times a week, or I feel differently. Trees hug me. Right? <laughs> As I'm walking through, they reach out, and they grab mm-hmm. me. It mm-hmm. happens to me a lot. I love that. And uh, we are part of nature. We're part of this beautiful symphony of nature and water and air and fire and clouds. And so it's so important for us not to forget that that's our home here. It is. And so by reconnecting, they call it, see, that's another term that's kind of recent, nature deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. That wasn't around even seven years ago. But that means you need to spend more time in nature And one of the reasons people are having so much anxiety now after two years of isolation is they've been cooped up in their houses. And so going to stand in nature and throwing yourself in the ocean, these are things that rejuvenate us. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, it's the kind of thing too, or if you live in a city um, where it's harder to access it, it could just be walking to the local park, and just looking at that one tree that's in the park a little bit differently and making space for that to seep in. It doesn't have to be some trip to some tropical island somewhere or, you know, if you don't have, if you're landlocked in the middle of the country and you have a riverfront to walk to. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It could be, you know, the fish tank in your living room. It could be the plant that you have in your, you know, in your window cells. Right. Um, it's really a matter of the eyes through which you look at these things and really recognize them. You talk about trees hugging you. I have a thing where I often, I have my favorite trees in different places where I hike and meditate wherever I'm living. And I, um, they talk to me. I'll leave it at that. 
Yes, they, 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 they hug me and they talk to you. They do. Perfect. They have um they hold such great wisdom. So this is H H S P you and me. <laughs> well, again, I don't compared to other people that I know that fit and I've actually changed as well because in the last few years and especially at the it's come and gone, but I've had some harder times and chapters that have really stretched me really, really thinly, where it did impact what is typically a very hearty um, central nervous system that I have, where I started getting more highly sensitized more quickly in situations that might not have done the same thing to me a year or two or five earlier. So this is also a fluid thing too. It doesn't necessarily, sometimes it has to do with where your constitution is, where your health is, where your circumstances are. Um, so it's not just a unilateral kind of definition, right? Now, Jeff um, did send us the person who coined the term highly sensitive person, mm-hmm. and her name is Elaine Aaron. Thank you, Jeff. You're hired. Um, anything else to share so we can give Elaine the proper shout out? No, I don't have her info. Okay. All right. We might, we'll have to do a little follow up, but that's helpful. Mm. Elaine Aaron. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so speaking of that, the highly sensitive person or having highly sensitive personality, I'm sorry, being in, having, being a highly sensitive person, this is my brain fog talking, um, can also cause adrenal fatigue often. Often. I've seen it before my own eyes happen. I've felt it. You've experienced it, right? So very basic things like eating well, exercising, meditating, getting enough rest. My sister always uses the expression um, sleep uh, hygiene or like free healing. You know, people talk about sleep. It's such an obvious bandied about thing. But really the value of getting to bed at a reasonable hour consistently without putting extra sugar and alcohol and food into your system before you, you know, so that your body can do what it's meant to do is tremendously helpful for all of us. And especially if you're someone who's prone to being more highly sensitive. And when you don't get to good sleep, mm-hmm. you in a few days become a very highly sensitive person mm-hmm. toward the negative. Yeah, it's true. It, ha- um, it happens to me because I can actually, I don't like to do it anymore, but I can function without, um, a lot, you know, without a lot of sleep. I, yeah. or at least I used to be able to. That's what I was had always known myself as. And then what would happen is the next day I would be, or two days later, extremely shaky and anxious, and my negative narratives would get, you know, would would get would would magnify. And yeah, it's definitely not good for the soul. And it's something simple, and it's something free, right? Um, next, pardon me, eliminate energy vampires. Try to get rid of those toxic people. (laughs) Steve's making funny toxic faces. Um, if you can't set very clear boundaries, then try to limit your interactions. Yes. (laughs) I don't know where to start on this one. It's difficult. First of all, it's okay to begin to recognize that things don't feel good. I'm on a kick with that with myself right now in ways that I've never, even in a just deepening of my truth with myself. Does this feel good? Does this situation feel good? Does this person feel good? 
How am I, what does my body feel like before I have XYZ interaction? You know, um, the number one thing is to identify it and give yourself permission. Cause often in our lives, we go through things, making excuses. Something is based on history. Something's based on convenience. Someone's a member of our family. We can't get rid of them. You know, it's okay. Number one, to put the toxic label, the energy vampire label on a situation or a person, and then figure out how to give yourself permission to have less um, exposure to it. It's not easy. And I just want to go talk about the corollary, which is sometimes we're in toxic situations that are important Again, it has, it's a very individual thing, but it can be important uh, as ways to look at the issues inside of ourselves right. and attempt to work these out with the other individual. So we're not suggesting that if we label somebody toxic, there's not something in it for us. Right. There's always something in it for us, sometimes setting very clear boundaries Sometimes working on something inside emotionally that can be resolved. There are many options involved. So when people say, oh, I'm always inviting the wrong person to my life romantically, or I can't seem to get rid of people that suck my energy dry. What you're saying is, is that is an opportunity to look at these patterns and realize they are there to serve you and to catalyze you to recognize deeper patterns in yourself that need a little extra loving and a little extra attention. That could be a whole show. Which one? The reframe? Both the reframe. toxic people. Uh How we create situations which we can't stand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. I like that title. Um, Next, before we get to our action steps, is to determine your personal boundaries, which sort of plays off of the last one. Find out, you know, make sure you're honest with yourself. What feels good? What doesn't feel good to you? How do you want to show up every day in the world? How do you want to feel? And, um, and just pay more attention, be more mindful of your personal boundaries. And finally take time for yourself, whether that's in silence, whether that's with your dog, whether that's sitting under a tree, whether that's meditating, whether that's escaping a a loud and crazy household, you are nothing for other people if you are not for your, there for yourself, right? So every yeah. time we feel like we don't have a choice, we have to figure out how to find one. So let's talk about our action steps finally. Um, in honor of our beloved, sensitive, and vulnerable people out there. Um, number one, share something. This is more about vulnerability. Share something that you're not inclined to share with a loved one. Take a leap. Share something deep. Oh, I wrote that because I like that as our new bumper sticker, that term. But um, think about something that you might have been afraid to say over the last many years to somebody that's in your life, whether positive or negative. They both take a lot of courage to show up. And it's something we didn't talk a lot about. But um, that's another way where I've gotten my sensitivity and vulnerability have gotten me in trouble is when I show up to when I try to take a leap to talk about things that are unpleasant or difficult. That doesn't go well a lot of the time. So try it (laughs) because it's another badge of courage, right? It's a badge of courage to try to um, foster more belief system in yourself and what your, what your truths are. And for a lot of people saying something positive is harder than saying something negative. Mm, Right. Good point. So for those listeners, give it a shot, say something positive to somebody in your family or a friend and see how that feels. 
it only creates more strength and connection between people. Beautiful point. Thank you for that. Second, set healthy boundaries. If you're around somebody that's toxic, try to, even if you're not ready to take the step, write a list to yourself. What are three boundaries you'd like to put in place? Whether it's limiting your time, um, limiting your level, the, the degree to which you communicate with them or the help that you give them, whatever it might be. Just start by giving it a little bit of attention. And finally, if you're sensitive, highly sensitive, and you need a new coping strategy, imagine the next time you're with somebody um, where you feel like it could be a little bit overwhelming for you, imagine you're holding a mirror, two-sided mirror, and that everything that you're saying to that person is being reflected back to them and everything that you're, that they're saying to you is being reflected to you. Did I get that right? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it's a really interesting exercise and in sort of, again, reining in all of our feelings and our words and the way things impact us. So with that, we want to thank everybody for joining us. You always mean so much to us. We're excited about 2022. We've got some new ideas and concepts and projects cooking, which we will keep you apprised of. If you want to find us on Instagram, we're at, um, at One Soul Radio, Facebook, One Soul Radio Podcast. Please engage with us. Next week, we're launching another new series, Care of Steve's Series Brain, Self-Help and Spiritual Legends. And we're going to start with the inimitable and amazing Louise Hay. Looking forward. Have a good week, everybody. Bye, all. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.